Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And you are listening in for season five, where we have been starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. And so this month, I reintroduced my special friend and former co-host, Doc Marr from the Netherlands. Doc Marr and I had a discussion about what's changed in her life since first appearing on this podcast back in April of 2021. It's been a long time. You may remember the conversations we had with guests talking through questions about God's existence, the origins of life, the rules or guidelines according to the Bible and the gospel. This month, Doc Mar updated us with some significant life changes that have happened in the past few months, including what for her seems like a deepening curiosity regarding faith. She shared some great questions about taking that literal leap of faith of coming to Christ. And so if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go back and check out that first episode with Doc Marr and hear more about her story. Uh, You can also listen to last week's episode with special guests Shay and Michelle Watson, where we talked about taking that literal leap of faith. Uh, I really appreciated that conversation with them. You can find all of that over at findingsomethingreal.com, along with other things, free resources, an occasional blog post, how you can get more involved with this program by supporting us through Patreon or advertising, and ways to connect. All of that can be found over there, findingsomethingreal.com. Doc Mar, yay, I know you're not feeling good, but you're joining us for this conversation today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Um... I'm um, still a little bit sick. Um, I've been sick now for almost six weeks. So I'm having tests run and everything, but I'm good to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've been having headaches and stomach issues. And um, I'm sorry that you're not feeling good. And it sounds like uh, not fun, not fun, not a fun experience. No, it's not, but I'll get through it. Yeah. How have you been coping with it so far? What are your coping strategies? Um, I've been painting a lot more than I did before. And um, I have a kitten from a neighbor that's out of town right now. So that's been fun. Just hanging out. Yeah. Over the weekend, did you start avoiding gluten just to rule that out? No, still not because I figured, well... No one said I can't eat it now, and 
I want to eat gluten because I like bread. <laughs> <laughs> but you feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know if it's because of the gluten. Right. But you'll never know unless you take that leap of faith, which is a nice segue into what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of a nice segue. Maybe a little. What did you think, Doc Mar? A little, a little clunky or was it good? What was that? It was okay. It was okay. It was okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you'll never know unless you actually take the step of faith and yeah. Okay, so I'm really excited for our guest today. Uh, someone who wanted to specifically address some things that you brought up in that intro conversation this month. She's um, not here so much to answer a question, although I'm sure she will. It's, uh, she is to talk about a topic that she's passionate about and I think will resonate with you, Doc Mar. I met her this summer at the Cross-Examined Instructors Academy Apologetics Conference in Cincinnati. She asked that I introduce her by song today, uh, which just goes to show that she has a terrific sense of humor, and I'm excited to welcome her. Phoenix Hayes, welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. Hi. Hi, Janelle. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that this worked out. Uh, We had a few hiccups along the way, and I'm really glad that you're here. Phoenix, tell us a little bit about yourself. Anything you want to share? Yeah. Um, yes. So me too. I'm glad that we could work this out, <laughs> internet issues and technology and, and whatnot. Um, about myself, I'm the creative director at an apologetics ministry called crossexamine.org, which is led by Dr. Frank Turek. So I have the pleasure of being able to use my creative uh, side while also sharpening my mind and um, helping other people understand the logic and evidence that supports the Christian faith. So I tend to have that kind of dialogue always running in the background in between the creative stuff that I do. So it is the best of both worlds (laughs) for me, uh, for a creative and someone who likes to think through things. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's what I do when I'm not momming with, with, (laughs) with with my four babies and and family and, and things like that. And, and school, seminary, shout out to Southern Evangelical Seminary. They're an wow. amazing um, seminary. So I encourage anybody who has the slightest desire to go deeper in their faith and get a firmer grasp of both the theology and apologetics and philosophy. They hit the big three. So um, yes, that, that, that's, that's what I do. Oh, uh, you're going to pick up an accent. I always forget about this detail of my life, but I was born and raised in New Zealand. I now live in the USA, but I've been here for six years. Uh, we have a couple of our, my, my husband's an American. So two of our kids were born in New Zealand and the other two born here in the USA. And that's just such a completely normal part of my life that I don't even think about it until someone brings up the fact that I talk funny <laughs> and I'm like wait a second where are you from so yes so um, that that's certainly a big part of my story is being raised in New Zealand and then immigrating to the USA legally wow. I might add <laughs> <laughs> wow well so four kids husband uh, mm-hmm. a ministry that you are very much involved in and doing a lot of amazing things with and seminary um wow on the side because you know life's too easy (laughs) wow so how long have you been going to seminary and was that something that you were always interested in um I've been going uh this is the I'm coming up to the end of my second year and I'm going super slow like one semester 
one class a semester, which I hate because I would really like to just get it done. But um, I find the classes are so rich and so deep and there's so much reading that this, this is not a degree that I can just phone in as the expression it goes. I like, you really need to <laughs> give the time to it and really absorb it. So yes, yeah, so I've been doing it for two years and at this rate, it'll be another 10 before I'm done. <laughs> um, but no, it's, well, yes and no. I, I had always been interested in eventually going back and getting um, higher education in uh, theology or something something related to ministry work, but it wasn't really a practical option because um, I had no actual plans to do that for a career. I just wanted to dive deeper um, in my walk and in, in what I claimed I believed in my heart. And I wanted to be able to articulate that faith better. But with school being so expensive and um, not actually having any plans to work in that for a career, it was not something that my husband and I, you know, were going to prioritize until you know, uh, about four years ago when I stumbled into the world of apologetics and realized this is 100% what I meant to be involved in. And from there, um, it became evident that I was going to make a career out of this. And I did want to go back and, and get a formal education in it. Mm. So for somebody listening, uh, if they listen regularly to this podcast, they probably know what apologetics are already. But for somebody listening who that term is still really foreign to them, would you explain what apologetics is? Yeah. So uh, apologetics is simply the, the ability to give a defense or a reason, an explanation, an argument. And I'm not saying to be argumentative, but... When you get up and you make a case for something, no matter what it is, whether you think that someone ought to cut out gluten <laughs> or, or, it's just stop a suggestion. Eating, <laughs> or stop eating meat or stop, I don't know, um, maybe they need to be vexed, maybe they don't need to be vexed. Whatever position you have, you feel strongly about, you need to make an argument for without being argumentative. And um, anybody who claims to be a Christ follower ought to be able to do the same for their faith, because it is not simply just a matter of the heart. The heart is involved, but it is very much an intellectual faith and it has a rich history and it has a strong evidential case to support it, unlike any other religion. So it is the responsibility of the Christ follower to be able to connect what they know in their heart with what they know in their head. Um, so the study of Christian apologetics is making that, is being able to make that defense for the Christian faith. Yeah. Yeah. And then seminary for someone listening who's like, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. Why would you go to seminary? Um, wh- what would you say to them? I wanted to go to seminary before I even wanted to make a career out of this because if you believe what the Bible claims, that our lives are eternal and it is but a blink of an eye our time here on earth and what you do now matters for eternity then understanding how to best manage that time best develop that relationship with our creator and best 
prepare for eternity, then seminary is an obvious priority um, mm. if you can afford to do it. If you can't, then you can read all the seminary books without paying the tuition fee. Um, <laughs> so in my mind, anybody who actually believes what they say they do, what they say is written in the Bible, should be pursuing seminary because it has nothing to do with whether you want a career in it. This is an eternal decision. Mm. And, um, and there is nothing that matters more than understanding our creator, eternity, and the story that's laid out in the Bible and helping other people. This is even more important, helping other people understand that. Hmm. So with that in mind, I think everybody ought to be submitting their application to seminary. Of course, <laughs> that sounds hypocritical of me because I wasn't simply because of the um, expenses involved. But one doesn't need to go to seminary to read all the books and and go deeper yeah yeah wow one one more follow-up question to that that's not on my <laughs> list <laughs> and i'm not I'm passionate curious. about this at all by the way <laughs> no it's good it's good i know that's why i want to ask um so do you ever hear i'm sure you have the criticism that if you go to seminary uh, the Bible becomes something that you just study. It becomes an object to study instead of something to both experience. And, like God can become the thing that we put into like a, a beaker, you know, a, a, examining him. Do mm -hmm. you feel that at all in your seminary experience? Have you heard that? And how would you respond to that, that fear that somebody might have? Yeah, um, with most fears, they are just excuses. Um, and I know that because I have lots of excuses for lots of things in my life that are stemmed from fear. Um, no, I don't think there's any possible way to lose that heart connection um, and that spirit that you that that experience that you have in your heart through the Holy Spirit by studying what God said, when he said it, how he said it and to whom he said it at a deeper level. Mm. Um, I know that. Uh, there are people that go into that situation and tend to, and, and do walk away from the faith, but uh, that is more a revealing of what was going on already before they walked through the doors. It is not because of what they studied. Um, and I know that that sounds like a very judgmental statement and I'm making it simply because I'm not thinking of anybody specific. I know that everybody has their own individual story and I would, wouldn't be so callous just to make that kind of remark to a one-on-one -on -one because, you know, it's such a deep and personal experience why anybody would go to seminary and then come to a point where they felt like they could no longer follow the faith. Um, but I, I cannot wrap my head around how one could dive deeper into who God is, what he teaches and how he taught it and yet somehow come up feeling disconnected from him. Hmm. I, I can't, I can't reconcile those two things unless there's, there's already an underlying disconnect there hmm. that someone hasn't quite identified. And so that, that educational experience uh, exasperates it. Yeah. Well, I like how direct you are. And I think that <laughs> our, our Dutch co-host here can appreciate it. Right, Doc Martin? Yes. Yep. <laughs> like I said, we've only got so much time in this life. Right. Just go straight it. for it. <laughs> um, I, I shoot straight and then I kind of apologize 
why try and soften it after depending on the reaction but i <laughs> i don't change what i say i just try and soften it a bit yeah that's good so <laughs> phoenix were you always a christ follower have you always been this passionate about uh, knowing him uh in an odd way yes um certainly if you spoke to eight-year-old me compared to now i certainly wouldn't have wouldn't have the same confidence and conviction but um, I do recall, so I, I had the, the benefit and the blessing of being raised in a Christian home. Uh, so I was taken to church regularly and I was set a, a somewhat good example from my parents. No one's perfect. Um, but I recall looking to my cousins who were also raised in Christian homes. And when we were together at uh, over school breaks. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> Is that a duck? <laughs> That's my fifth baby. Oh. <laughs> um, I recall going out to church with my cousins and things like that. And <clears throat> I remember one particular Easter Sunday, we're singing a praise and worship song and I'm looking at the cross and I'm crying. I'm, I must be like nine or 10. And I, I just felt it so tremendously um whereas I was looking at my peers and they're kind of like what's wrong with her <laughs> and I knew at that point that I I was either something's wrong with me or I'm I'm getting it in a way that my peers aren't mm -hmm. and it truly wasn't a fun feeling it was a very isolating feeling it, it was never a oh, I must be more holy than you or more religious than you or anything like that. It was more of a, why does this feel so lonely to, to really, really feel this, um, this truly, just really feeling the weight and the, the importance of who God is at such a young age and not being able to bounce those feelings or ideas off of anybody. Um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Did you ever have a time in your faith journey where you struggled with faith or struggled with, with doubt? No, I've, I've never had any serious bouts of doubt. Um, I have, I've certainly stopped and asked the question, is this all real? What if I've got this wrong? What if we've all got this wrong? Mm -hmm. So the questions have certainly been there, but they've only been very momentary, very momentary um, I have always found that I haven't had to dig too deep to immediately realize, no, there is no better explanation for reality. This is, this is it. Um, but I was fortunate in that I was raised in a home where I could ask tough questions, even if my parents couldn't answer them. So, um, and, and often they couldn't, but I knew I was allowed to ask and, um, and, and I was free to continue to consider what the answer might be and to try and find answers rather than being shut down or made to feel guilty for even questioning it. So, of course, during high school, as you're beginning to um, want to get your own perspective on things rather than just adopting your parents' outlook, of course, you tend to ask more rebellious questions and, well, why this? Why that? Why do it this way? And of course, a lot of those circulated, circled around sexuality. Why wait till marriage? Why not? What, what's wrong with um, 
uh, homosexuality? What's what's the big deal? And somehow, praise God, my mom was just able to provide answers in such a way where I thought, well, you know what, that does kind of make sense. And mm. um, and so, yeah, there was room for those awkward, tough questions that I know a lot of teens don't feel like they're even allowed to think, let alone ask. Mm. Yeah. Wow. In New Zealand, when you were growing up, were was your home countercultural? Because what I know of New Zealand, there's a, it, it's more secular than the U.S., at least I've heard. Is that true? And did you feel like, as a family, you guys were going against the norm? Yes and no. So, yes, New Zealand is an extremely secular culture, very socialist-leaning. Um, so, in that sense, we were very countercultural. Um, however, we were also very immersed in the church. So mm-hmm. it, you didn't always feel it um, because we made a point of being very involved with other Christian families so that you didn't feel that isolation and that disconnect. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go to a, a private Christian school um, during elementary and middle school. By high school, I asked to go to the public school simply because at that point, we the Christian school was so small and it couldn't offer the same programs. Um, and I felt like I had a good enough head on my shoulder to to venture out into the dark secular world of <laughs> <laughs> high school. Um, yeah, so, but but the thing that I love about that, and I, I understand it's very similar in the, um, on the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest is those who claim to be Christian really were. Um, and that's something I've had to get used to moving to the United States, particularly on the East Coast. And now I'm in the Bible Belt. Um, those who say they are Christian, really, it doesn't really mean much most of the time. And I now know that there needs to be follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in New Zealand, for the most part, you can kind of take that at face value. Yeah. So, okay. They. It's not something you would say unless you actually some significant conviction Hmm. yeah i have a question about that well how do you like deal with that because in the netherlands like especially where i live there's a lot of christians too so people who say they are christians but it doesn't really mean a lot so how do you deal with that um that's very very interesting i'm so surprised to hear that actually um i live in a bible belt of the netherlands so mm. okay yeah interesting gotcha yeah i find you just the the follow-up questions are what what exactly does it mean to you as as a christian you know what kind of um what how, how does your life how is your life different from um someone who wouldn't claim to be a christian um, and sometimes it's most of the time um you can't be that direct, but you can just pick up on things. So um, I now, someone can say, yes, I'm a Christian. And unless there's a follow-up of this is the church that I go to, this is the this is the community that I'm a part of, this is something I'm passionate about and serving, this is, unless that kind of information is just flowing from them, um, 
which is usually a good indicator that they really are sold out on it because it, because they're just talking about it. Because they get excited. <laughs> exactly. They're genuinely excited about it. They're not trying to be careful about what they say. And it's obviously something that's so part of who they are and their day-to-day life that it's just there. Whereas I have family here in the U.S. who would all claim to be Christians, but we are never allowed to talk about Christianity. It never naturally comes up when we're together to the point where if it naturally comes up between my husband and I in front of them, I feel uncomfortable like I am being preachy. I don't need to really say much more to tell you that they're not really believers. Um, now there's, there's more, there's more to that, that, you know, that, that, that conclusion is not simply from that little snippet, but that's an example of, uh, by name only Christian family. Like when, when you are, when you are sold out on this and when you've got it, 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 it can't help but come up in your conversation about your plans for the future, the way you interact with your community, the way you interact with your friends and family. Uh, the way you feel about things that are happening politically and globally, it just naturally is woven into every part of who you are. Um, but if someone is able to segment it off um, into a little, little box, um, I think they've fallen more into a cultural Christianity part. Like this is just a descriptor of who I, this is not part of who I am as a person, but it's, um, it's an attachment. Almost like... Um, you you can be a woman that's who you are there's no no separating yourself from that but are you a woman teacher are you a woman vet like these are ex- extras that you tack onto it based on where you went to school what you did for school what you do for a career that's what i mean so a lot of people associate their religion that way as as an accessory that they can take on put on take off but it's kind of over there yeah yeah. And then uh, when you're sold out and uh, it's that very first part of like, who you are, your identity, I'm not, uh, you know, an American, middle-class American over here, da, 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 all these different attachments. I love Jesus, right? That's like the very first thing. There's a very different response depending on the value that you you have with that thing. Um, mm-hmm. Phoenix, I spoke with you. This is a great segue. <laughs> this was better than the first one. Uh, Doc Mar- I spoke with you at the end of the CIA conference. And I asked you then what topic you love to talk about, something you're passionate about. And you didn't hesitate when you said identity. Why is that a topic you love to discuss? Because it's such, it's one that is so um, twisted at the moment. It, it always has been as soon as you introduce humanity to a basic concept like identity, there's always going to be room for corruption and it getting twisted and mangled, but it seems to be extraordinarily so and even celebrated at the moment with first with the sexual wave of, um, you know, everybody getting on board with same sex marriage and um, an approval of that lifestyle and now over into people reassigning genders and and all of all of that so identity it's such a personal thing it's something that i had to wrestle with for 
um, much of my life trying to figure out who exactly I, I was and where I felt like I fitted in and asking those questions of myself and then observing how others had elected to answer them in such a catastrophic way uh, has given me an awful lot to think about. And I, and it, so much of our world's problems inside and outside of the church would be resolved if they could get this one piece right about their identity. Um, so whether I would say whether you believe in God and whether you're a Christ follower or not, the answer is still the same. We are made in the image of God. And as an image bearer of God, that is where your identity is centered. That is the reason why you want an identity. And it is the only place you can put your identity that will not be shaken. Um, I understand that making that argument to someone who denies the existence of God, it sounds like you're, you, you need to do some groundwork first. I, of course you do. Um, to make the case for God's existence. But quite honestly, the fact that a person feels the desire to establish their identity in the first place is them demonstrating to me that they're not an atheist. They're an atheist in, in words only, because an atheist holds that we are nothing more than the product of random cell mutations to eventually go from goo to you know what we now call human. And there is absolutely no explanation why that creature called human would desire to have any kind of identity. Why? It, it just needs to eat, sleep, procreate, maybe build, create comfort. It's, it's, it's a developed, you could create this developed society, but there's absolutely no justification for wanting to uh, form any kind of identity and find value in that. And, and there's no under, no explanation for why that would be so important to an individual under the atheistic worldview. Wouldn't that be like uh, socialistically important though? Because humans live in, um, of course, not on their own. They are with multiple people and they live like that. So wouldn't it be important to, even without, um, um, believe in God and being made in the image of God, wouldn't it still be important to identify as a as one person um, in a different way than just being like everyone else? For example, if you look at animals, they're not all the same either. They also mm -hmm. have different characteristics yeah. and personalities. Yeah, they, they do, but they're not seeking an identity with that. They're not seeking a, who am I with that? They're just dog with more energy, dog with less energy, dog with a curly tail, dog with not a curly tail. They're just dog or, you know, distinguished by breed or distinguished by gender, but there's nothing supremely um, deep about that. I have, I have dogs and they've all had different personalities, but they haven't had different, like a deep, rooted identity crisis that you know they're not having an identity crisis <laughs> over what they are they're just dogs 
And so they're not self-conscious. Right. So from a humanistic point of view and an atheistic point of view, it would be the same for humanity. There's no explanation for why any human would require anything deeper than that. Um, you for for tribal purposes and and social purposes you would certainly connect with family you would um, find your community in which you're safe that's again all a a fairly superficial level there's no individualistic yearning for who am i why do i matter what is unique about me how would this world be different if i weren't here Um, all those questions that every single human asks of themselves. Um, and so I, yeah. Do you agree with that, Dakmar? I know you love animals. Uh, they're very special to you, but do you, I'm watching your face as Phoenix is talking. Are you struggling to, are you needing her to talk more about that? Or what do you think? Um, well, I don't fully agree. There's definitely some parts. I'm not going to say that I'm completely against what you're saying, Phoenix, at all. Um, I would just like to know more about um, where you're coming from in that sense. So more the, like the apologetics for the other side, if you know what I mean. What what do you mean the apologetics for the other side? Like um, from... A person who who doesn't believe in God and who still yearns to find their identity, I would think that there would be more reasons why as humans we would seek identity more than other species on, on this earth. Because we have more brain capacity and because we identify more globally and we have more I don't know uh, more social contact and awareness indeed of ourselves and of our community so maybe also in a way that with uh, the globalization that people can um, really search more for people who are like-minded Maybe that's why identity has become such a big issue lately. But yeah, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, so I guess what I'm thinking is there's no question that people do look for identity. The bottom, the underlying question is why? Why are they looking for identity? And I don't believe the humanistic worldview can give you a reason. You don't need to have a sophisticated understanding of your personal identity in order to function in society. Um, You can identify things that you have in common with people without rooting your identity in that. Um, Obviously, I'm going to have more things to talk about with um, with people who share common interests to me. But again, that's not part of my identity. That's just a common interest. That's an external factor that we both are aligned with, but that's not part of who I am. Um, I'm also going to find it easier to connect with people who have a common history to me. 
Um, but that's not, again, who I am. It's just an external detail of my life that we can both look at and point to as a commonality between us. And that, of course, then builds friendships and, and uh, community. But none of those things, again, point to my personal identity, my value, um, and, and who I am yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, I guess the word identity can be loaded. And so a lot of people will talk about, you know, my identity can change my, um, yeah, that's the main one is if it, and I'm describing identity as something that's constant, a, cent, a, a certain level of human value and a level of human um, identity. That's the word I keep going to, but I may need to find better language to describe that, but something that remains constant no matter what changes around you. Um, your identity in that it is, so people, will people who tend to root their identity in things external to them wind up getting very hurt when those things let them down and they can get very shaken. Um, so let's say, you, you know, I know of mothers that have rooted their identity in their children and their children reject them. Their children leave the home or their children, heaven forbid, an accident happens and they die. And they are just, the mother is lost because their children is where they rooted their identity. Other people, they root their identity in their, their country. And, uh, and of course, your country and your children are going to impact your day-to-day -day and how you live out your life. But these external things can never be a central core of you because all those things can be taken away. Um, when, a poor, when a refugee is um, relocated or um, is forced to leave their home uh, for, for whatever reason, are they no longer who they are? Now, of course, of course, they're still who they are. The, their identity does not change. The location changes of where they are. So that's why I continue to argue that identity can only be rooted in something that is constant. And the one constant thing that we know of that is outside of us, but, but is unchanging, is our maker. But isn't also our history unchangeable? History is unchangeable, but it depends on who's telling it. Okay, but right? like for yourself, so, like if you are, for example, the refugee that you talked about, they will always have grown up in their country and have lived through whatever they have lived through. So that's also a core part of um, who they are as a person because of their up upbringing and stuff like that, that um, like if that same person would have grown up in a completely different environment, then maybe their personality and their core being would not be the same. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It wouldn't be the same. It would be different. That's why when I, when I think of identity, I, I think of something that is completely stripped back from all those things. Something that... Um, because you, you, you know, I think we've all asked ourselves, would I be the same person if I was born 100 years ago? Would I be the same person if I was born in a different country? 
um, there are certainly pieces of us that would be extremely different and we would have different biases, different hurts, different, um, different fears and expectation, expectations for the future. But there's something unchanging about who we are deep down. If as assuming I had the same biological parents, but was born in a different time and in a different place, I know that there are, there are qualities to me that would still be there regardless of all these external factors. I would still be probably pretty fiery. I would still be uh, creative and still desiring logic. I would still have human dignity and value regardless of anything around me, even if I had no rights as a woman, even if I, I would still be entitled to those things. And the only thing I can root that value and dignity and um, consistency in is the fact that I bear the image of someone who gives me those things. Does that make any sense? It does. I know I, it's difficult because identity gets exchanged a lot with personality and preferences and individual quirks. And I agree that all those things can change. But there has to be something untouchable that remains consistent in who you are, that nothing can touch, nothing can take away from, no matter what your circumstances are, that there remains stable. There's something about you, Dagmar, that would not change no matter what time you were born, what place you were born, no matter what opportunities or tragedies occur in your life. There's something central to who you are that can't be diminished or expanded on because it's rooted between you and the image that you bear being your maker. That's a lot to think about. That's, that's a lot to think about, yeah. And people know that there's something that they want to pin their identity to. And so we all do it. We, we, we all link our identity to all these external things. And of course, these external thing, things are going to influence us and they're going to make us, you know, a little bit different. Um, but I guess my perspective is I'm not talking about your identity there. I'm talking, th those are uh, just seasonings to who you are, but they, they can all change. But the foundation, the central core of you remains the same. Um, so when I think of people who um, draw their identity and their sexuality, that's a big one at the moment. Uh, people who experience same-sex attraction, they don't ever talk about how I, I feel attraction to um, boys or to girls. They say they wrap their identity in their attraction. So it's not I feel this, it is, I am this. And that's a very, very deceptive lie that people and have bought into. So um, I don't think a person's identity can be tied to what they're attracted to. What they're attracted to will affect them and it will change the way they approach life and things, but it's not actually who they are. And as soon as you connect it to, as soon as you make it part of that inner, inner core, that unchanging thing, you, you're, you're risking a lot um, by, by, you're hanging an awful lot of importance and weight 
on this external seasoning shall we say it's kind of like it's um, um what i was taught in school is like um for example who you are as a person is different from the roles that you take in a daily life like i'm a mom i'm a teacher i'm a student um stuff like that those are more like the roles that you have in your life and that change but then the yes. core part of you that's different than the rules is that kind of how I could see what you're talking about yeah yeah that's exactly what I'm talking about and I would extend that to um, also our understanding of gender and our understanding of sexuality so if I meet a woman that I find attractive and I feel sexually attracted to I'm not going to have an identity crisis and suddenly think am I bi no, I'm still me. I'm still Phoenix. I'm still made in the image of my God. But right now I am experiencing an attraction to someone. Same thing with a male. Um, I'm married. That doesn't mean that I am never going to meet an attractive man and have feelings around them. If I do, I acknowledge that feeling and I have a decision to make. Am I going to, uh, you know, dismiss it and and move on with my day because I've made a commitment to my husband, or am I going to pursue that with my thought life and by pursuing some kind of connection with them? Um, we all have these different attractions, whether it be a sexual attraction or a, an attraction to, to just do pursue different things in our lives. And we have um, a judgment call to make on whether we're going to pursue them or not. But these are all actions. These are not tied to who we are in terms of an identity. So something that particularly bothers me is that over the last 10, 20 years, uh, the LGBTQ community has insisted that your attraction is um, individable from your identity. And I think that's a complete lie. It's something that you may experience very, very truly and maybe something that you always experience. I'm not, I'm not here to debate that today but I absolutely reject the idea that your identity is embedded in what you're attracted to yeah I agree that I think that your core identity is never just a part of what makes you you but your core identity is when everything else is gone so I agree with that right yeah I wanted to shift this conversation a little bit here because Dokmar and I have had many conversations, a few of them recorded on this podcast, about mental health and identity. And one of the things that Dokmar mentioned to me when she was visiting this summer, and Dokmar, feel free to correct me here if I am remembering incorrectly. Um, she said to my husband, Brian, and I that she felt she needed to get healthy before she came to Christ. Um, because if she came to Jesus before she got better, she would be doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, Dokmar, first of all, did I get that right? And would you expand on that idea? And then Phoenix, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, yes, you got that right. Uh, I've been struggling with mental health for a long time. And I feel like, uh, at least I felt like, because Janelle and Brian... That Brian, uh, Janelle's husband have talked me kind of out of this but um, I felt like if 
I came to Christ because I was at a loss of who I am and what am I going to do with my life and all stuff like that. I would just be doing it to find purpose in my life instead of actually being like, yes, I want this. I'm committed. I would just be kind of like trying it out. Like, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Like, yeah, okay, I will give it a shot instead of actually being, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go have a relationship with uh, with God and with Jesus. So, yeah. Gotcha. I think I think it's funny because essentially you're saying I need to find my sense of me and my purpose before I try and get acquainted with Jesus. Whereas I would say there is absolutely no purpose to anything outside of him. But I respect, I, I do respect, I respect where you're coming from. I, I can understand the logic and the reasoning behind it. Um, but speaking as someone who now has a sense of purpose, um, any idea of purpose beyond him and our maker is just kind of an illusion. Uh, it's it's a farce as far as I can see. Um, I think, I don't think you need to show up to Christ with an I with the attitude of like I'm all in. I think it's okay to 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 go in kind of we'll see. I think that's completely fine, and I think and I respect that you're being honest about that. Um, it would it's almost like going on a date, right? It, you no one expects you to show up to the date like I'm all in. Let's go. Let's get married. <laughs> No one requires that for the first date. You just you just have to be willing to see if what you hear makes sense and if this sounds like a reasonable outlook on life. But Phoenix, do you think coming to Christ is more like a first date or more like a marriage? Eventually, it's like a marriage. But no one expect. What I'm saying is, I. In order to be open to it and learn more about it, no, no one's expecting you to be like, I'm all in before you walk through a, ch a church door or something like that. Um, it it kind of sounds like you're already there, actually. You're already on that dating relationship. She's already so dating him. Now she needs to marry the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening here. Yeah, I honestly, I, well, I would just keep dating him. You know, God's, God's got eternity. Um, keep, keep digging, keep searching, keep asking questions and weigh the answers to those questions to the alternatives. That, that, that's a big one. Um, sometimes we're not entirely satisfied with the answer. And, but when you stop and say, what's the alternative? You'll come up short. You'll come up with not much. Um, I, you know, I'm a woman and I always want to lose weight. Well, the way to lose weight is to restrict calories and increase exercise. I don't really like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, maybe I'll just, I'll wait and see if a better answer ever turns up. And a better answer has never turned up. I don't like that answer, but it mm -hmm. is the best explanation and the best path to 
lose weight and be healthy. Um, so I think sometimes a lot of people feel that way with the Christian message that they're like, oh, I'm not entirely comfortable with what is being taught here. It sounds hard. It sounds a little scary. It sounds a little unfamiliar, but what have you got that's better in terms of a better explanation for why the world is the way it is? And for me, there there is no better explanation or a better solution than what Christ offers. That's really interesting because the other day when um, Doc Mar and I were reading John, that's what we read, wasn't it, Doc Mar? Remember, we read about Jesus saying these really hard things, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood before he had actually been crucified and resurrected. So a bunch of people were like turning away. A lot of people turned away and didn't follow him anymore. And then do you remember what he said to the disciples? Do you remember how they responded, Doc Mar? Um, I think Jesus said like, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And they said, mm-hmm. uh, well, no, I don't know where else to go. Yeah. That's not exactly what the Bible go? said, but it's kind of how I remember You it. got it pretty close. You got it pretty close there, girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah. close. Well, Doc Mar left us a note, Phoenix, when she left here in mid-July. I found it after she left. In it, she said, and I quote Doc Mar. Um, I hope that soon I will get past my fears, take that leap of faith, and give my life to him. Dakmar, what did you mean by that? Earlier, Phoenix said that fears are usually excuses. Tell me what's keeping you from coming to Christ and, you know, marrying the guy. <laughs> um, still the same, I think. <laughs> um, I know that if I would give my life to him... Um, a lot would change, not dramatically or all of a sudden stuff would change, but I know that uh, a lot would change and uh, I'm a little bit of a control freak, so <laughs> that's hard, <laughs> like knowing that stuff is going to change even though I'm the one making the choice to get in that relationship and yeah, it's just hard to know like it's like weighing weighing the constant the the cost of both and the profits of both and as someone who is yeah i don't know a control freak and needs to know everything you can never know everything in either way like that's it's hard just i don't know i'm babbling so i understand if you don't follow my train of thought because I barely follow my own train of thought but no that makes complete sense I I mean you're describing a feeling that every single human on earth wrestles with uh, and that feeling won't go away after you commit your life to Christ we all want to feel a semblance of control over what's happening and and we don't like to give up control uh the the greatest thing i think to realize which you've already said is you're not in control <laughs> you already know that whether uh you accept christ or not don't you you still you know we we the only way we function as a society is to 
keep this illusion going that we do have some sense of control. But in reality, at any point, we could get hit by any number of catastrophes that we do not control. Um, mm. I have to go pick up my kids from the bus stop soon, and I might not make it there. But I continue to live my life as if I am going to make it there, and I'm in 100% control of that. Because to consider the alternative would just wreck us. We, we just have to keep moving forward. Um, but uh, it's extremely freeing also uh, because accepting the fact that I can't control a lot of things and accepting that someone who loves me more than anybody else ever can or will is in control is incredibly freeing. It's like uh, being let go and there's a net under you and you're getting tossed around by the wind, but no matter how scary it is, you know there's that net and Christ is that net um, that, I, that I have openly said, I, I trust you. Whatever comes, I trust you. I trust that whatever thing happens today, there may be a reason for it in 500 years. Uh, you know, I don't believe that my my soul is just going to extinguish when I die. I believe I just I am simply going to be relocated to basically heaven. It's not exactly heaven. It's I'm not going to get into the theology, of it, but <laughs> um, but basically, I who I am, my identity, my myself doesn't just go poof. Um, whereas in the humanistic worldview, it does. It just is gone, and all was for naught, and. Um, and then in a hundred years, no one will ever remember my name and who cares? Um, but the, the explanation, that, but not only does Christ offer a better story than that, I think his story makes more sense. It makes more sense that some, someone as unique and precious as you, Dogmar, doesn't just get extinguished um, at the point of death. It makes sense to me that there's more uh, and he offers the only explanation for why there's more. So I, I have to lean into what makes the most sense. Yeah. Phoenix, what difference do you feel like having Jesus in your life has made, especially in terms of identity? It's kept me steady. Um, because an awful lot of things have come and gone in my life, particularly moving country. Um, I have no family here, so um, my, my jobs have changed. Um, my parental status changed. <laughs> um, one day, heaven forbid, I could lose all my children. I pray to God that never, ever happens. But if it did, I would still be me. Um, Right now I'm married. I pray that I'm always married, but people lose their husbands for to, to any number of things. I, that will not change who I am. Um, right now I am, I'm physical, I'm mobile. I'm able to think and interact with people. I'm able to go for walks, but one day I might not be able to. I might lose use of, use of my legs. I might be hit by a car and not be able to express my ideas the same way but that will not change who I am. So it's, it's very grounding knowing that this, the storm can surge around you, but who I am and who I am anchored to being my creator 
remains constant. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts on that, Doc Moore? I kind of yearn for that, like that knowing that no matter what happens, everything will be okay in the end. Mm. Amen. That's how it's meant to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my comment yeah. on that, Janelle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that yearning is a God-given yearning. Exactly. That's, placed That's in another every thing. Heart. Why do you yearn for that? Why? Why isn't it enough just to be happy today and be dead tomorrow? Why is there a yearning for something to know that everything works out well in the end? Why is that the basis for every single fairy tale? Because every it's a human common... experience is it. Exactly. And why? Why does every human, no matter what time, place, culture they're born in, desire that? Why is that the unifying heart of man or, or woman? I think. Well, I know what your answer is going to be. I know what Janelle says. Yeah, my answer is someone put that in us. Because <laughs> God said it. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sorry to right be predictable. But... <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I didn't have any other answer though. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm open to hear and, and this is part of what I do is hearing what other people think. Um maybe an explanation for that, but I'm yet to hear one that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Mm. Um you want to give her the final question, Dakmar? You know it by heart by now. So uh, finding something real stands for restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Which of these four stands out to you in your life the most right now and why? And remind me again, it's restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. Uh Authenticity. Um, everybody is too afraid to be authentic. Uh, and we make up false stories about ourselves, even to ourselves, to cope and to make sense of the world. Some people would say that I'm doing exactly that with my belief in a made-up God, <laughs> whom I don't think is made up. Um, God allows me to be completely authentic with him because he already knows my deepest, darkest thoughts before I even vocalize them. And he is able to deal with it and take it. Um, and he grants me the wisdom to not give every single piece of my authentic self to people around me. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing there's you know there's two sides to this everyone you know people want authenticity but that doesn't mean you have the permission to just be an absolute monster to people because that's your authentic self god but you can to god like he yeah. can handle that <laughs> like he can handle that he's like let it at me let's work through it um so that when you're when you're dealing with other people <laughs> you've you've worked it out a little bit yeah 
Well, I love that. It's so true. And Phoenix, thank you so much for being here today. It's been such an honor and privilege to have you. And Dokmar, I just love when you can join. And uh, I love that you just come right as you are. Um, yeah. uh, thank you both. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.